0: Let's do a little word association exercise to get started, okay? You know how it works, right? Uh, I say Adam, you say... Oh, I think, okay. I say Cain, not the Cain here, but the name. I say Cain, you say... Got it, okay. So I say Noah, you say ark. Noah and the ark. Uh, I think we would all agree, even though some of us may be here new today and not know too much about Noah and the Bible, we all know about Noah and the ark. And uh, the ark, in fact, was the defining moment in Noah's life. Uh, And we're going to talk about him this morning, see if we can learn a little bit more about what God has to say about Noah. It is recorded in Genesis chapter 6 and 7, and the event we're going to deal with is summarized in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. So I'd like you to have your Bibles open, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 11, and maybe with a thumb in Genesis 6 and 7. And while you're finding Hebrews, let me just bring you up to speed very quickly about The book of Hebrews. Hebrews was a book written by an unknown author. We don't know who he was or a lot of guesses but it appears that he wrote this book to a bunch of Jewish Christians who were scattered here and there and he wrote with the uh, purpose of first of all uh, describing Christ and the wonders and the glories of Christ, his superiority and secondly to encourage Christians in their Christian walk as they were Christ followers. Consequently, we can divide the book of Hebrews very simply into two sections. Chapter 1, verse 1 through chapter 10, verse 18, deals with the superiority of Jesus Christ, and he is superlatively compared to angels and to Moses. The salvation that he accomplished on the cross is given to us in wonderful, beautiful detail. The new covenant is described as the replacement of the old and the wonderful truth of what we have in Christ these days. And there are even warnings given to Christ followers to be very careful that they do not forsake the Christ and the faith that they have in Christ Jesus as he is established. Then we come to chapter 10, verse 19, to the end of the book, And the author shifts gears a bit, and he addresses his readers and issues a a call to persevere in the faith that they have been given in Jesus Christ. If you look across the page, if you're in Hebrews 11, if you look across the page to chapter 10, you'll notice some stark words in verses 19 through 25. These are these words, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence, Verse 21, and since we have a great high priest, verse 22, let us draw near, verse 23, let us hold fast, verse 24, let us consider. This is a familiar pattern often in the New Testament, particularly where the author now lays out some wonderful theological truths, and then he turns and he says, what do we do? What's the so what, so to speak? of these truths that we have learned. And that's what's going on here in the book of Hebrews. Verses 19 and following of chapter 10 through the end of the book gives us a simple statement. Namely, if we have been recipients of the great salvation accomplished in Jesus Christ, it is a reasonable expectation that we will live our lives in light of that salvation and we will live our lives on the basis of faith in that Christ who provided that salvation. And then, just in case we need some help in knowing that this is possible, chapter 11 is a recitation of many people, historical people, real people, who actually lived that way. They lived their lives on the basis of faith. And so we have this list. Many of you are familiar with Hebrews chapter 11 where we have the list of those who lived in the way that God expected them to live. Then the author takes a little bit of a turn in chapters 12 and 13, and he has another one of these therefores. Chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, he says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses, let's lay aside certain things that are going to weigh us down on this journey of faith, and let's rather run with endurance as we seek to follow Christ in our lives. So he then comes full circle and is now back talking to his readers and urging them to live their lives by faith like other people have done. And guess what? Noah is one of those witnesses. He is listed in chapter 11 and in verse 7. One verse. So let's have a look. Noah chapter uh, noah chapter Hebrews chapter 11 verse 7 By faith Noah being warned by God about things not yet seen in reverence prepared an ark for the salvation of his household by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness which is in which is according to faith As we examine this simple verse we will encounter three main thoughts. Here they are. First of all, Noah constructed the ark. Secondly, Noah condemned the world. And third, Noah was changed. So let's first look at this main topic that Noah constructed the ark. The first part of chapter seven of Hebrews chapter, uh, excuse me, verse seven of Hebrews chapter 11. Here it is. built by faith. We're going to learn three basic things about Noah constructing the ark. And the first one is Noah built by faith. Now, let's, let's just assume for a moment that Noah has brought his toolbox with him uh, to demonstrate what he used to construct the ark. So you'd get into the toolbox and you'd find pounding instruments, hammers of all kinds. You'd find cutting instruments, Uh, saws and etc you'd find leveling instruments you would find measuring instruments and on and on and on we would go you'd find these various things in the toolbox but Noah would reach into the bottom of the box so to speak and pull out another tool and hold it up and say to us now this is the key tool this is the tool that is responsible for me being able to build the ark And the tool is called faith. The key tool in Noah's toolbox is faith. So we might say it like this. Faith is the thing that made the little tiny hammer a sledgehammer. Faith is the thing that made the handsaw a super-duper power saw that cut this way, that way, and everywhere. Faith is the thing that made the level... A laser level. On and on and on we go. In other words, faith is the key element. Everything is framed by and explained by the term by faith in Hebrews chapter 11. And As a matter of fact, it is used 18 times in Hebrews chapter 11, connected to all of these people who make this list of people who lived in a manner which was pleasing to God. By Faith. So, the thing we come up with is a simple statement that Noah constructed the ark by means of faith. Grammatically, that's really the way we ought to look at this word. By means of faith. He is telling us the how and the rationale and reason as to how he did what he did. Faith is the thing that carried the day for Moses It was faith at the end of the day which was the basis for everything that he did. It is the explanation for why he did what he did. He was driven by means of faith even as he was confronted with things he didn't understand, things he didn't see, things he couldn't comprehend. From the moment the idea of the ark was introduced to Noah until the day he stepped off of the ark. He acted by means of faith. The issue is there's no other explanation for how Noah lived his life and how he accomplished what he did. In fact we understand that Noah became known as a man of faith. Ezekiel was writing in chapter 14 of his prophecy and he was talking about the fact that God may determine to bring judgment upon a nation or a city-state of people. And Ezekiel speaks to those people and he says, now look, God is going to judge with famine. And it doesn't make any difference, dear citizens of city whatever. It doesn't make any difference whether Noah, Daniel, or Job are residents in that city. You will never be able to deal with me on the basis of what Noah, Daniel, and Job are or did. They are great people of faith, but you must come to me on the basis of your own faith. Now, there's a lot of theological implications in that section of Scripture. My only point here today is that Noah was known as a man of faith as we look back on Noah right up there with Daniel and Job Uh, as a matter of fact I find it kind of interesting that as I look at Hebrews 11 I don't find mention of Daniel I don't find mention of Job. Oh now probably they appear in that anonymous garbage pit at the end of the chapter where he says and there are a lot of other people that are unnamed. Well, we could stick Noah and we could stick, I mean, we could stick Daniel and we could stick Job there. But here's Noah. He actually made the list as a person who lived by means of faith. So on one hand, our word association exercise is really off. When we say Noah, we ought to say faith, not the ark. Faith faith was what made possible the ark. Noah was a person of great faith. So the the key tool in his toolbox was faith. Noah built by faith. We also learn, therefore, that everything else in the construction project is relatively unimportant. At the end of the day, we are not given by the author of Hebrews Any of the specifications about the job. This is a summary verse that just simply tells us that he, what a word, he prepared the ark. Come on, God, that's all you're going to say about me and my work making the ark happen? I prepared it? Well, yeah, this is just a basic word that means to build or to furnish. And that's the way in which Noah's work is summarized to build or to finish the ark. Now, gives us none of the details about the ark. It gives us none of the details about the daily routine. It gives none of the details. There's no uh, blueprints or drawing or anything. Just he prepared the ark. Um, Genesis 6 and 7 does give us a few details, doesn't it? Not many. But we are told that the ark was 750 foot long. We are told that the ark was uh, 75 foot and 45 foot. Um, Well, it had three decks. There were rooms in the decks. It had a window. Uh, It was made out of wood. And that's about all we know about the ark. There's a lot of speculations about what the finished product may have looked like. In fact, you can jump in your car and go a couple of hours south here and you can discover what the Andres and Genesis people think the ark looked like, but it's their guess. We don't have the ark, and we're not told much about the ark. As a matter of fact, what we're trying to say here, even though this was a major project that some people think may have been 100 years in length, that's debatable as well, but nonetheless, it's a major project, and yet all we're told is that Noah prepared the ark, that Noah built the ark the specifications, even, the, even all the nuances about the flood are not important for the author of Hebrews. His purposes don't include sketching out for us, having us scratch our head and spend all of our time trying to figure out what the details of the ark are, what the details of the project was. He just wants us to know one thing, that Noah was a person who did what God told him to do and he built the ark. So when we look back by means of this summary, as God looks back, or maybe what we ought to say is this way if we believe in the inspiration of Scripture, if we look at God's record, his words, his thoughts, his evaluations, his summary of Noah and his life, Here it is. He prepared the ark. That's what it is. That's what he wants us to know. And we realize, and therefore, what is important is that by faith, Noah did what God said. I like to say it like this. Noah built the boat. That's what I think this is all about. Noah built the boat. This is what God wants us to know about Noah's life. One verse summarizing four chapters in the book of Genesis. So the first thought then is Noah built by faith. As we further consider this construction project, we understand that Noah was briefed in advance about the construction we ought to be careful here, but I, I like to kind of take some liberties. It's it's the statement that God says to Noah, hey, come sit down and have a seat. I want to have a talk with you. I want to give you a briefing before you start this construction project that I have in mind. There are two things that happened to Noah then before he started the construction project. And uh, for those of you who like grammar, what we're talking about here is Aries. Passive participles. In other words, after having been warned, after having been reverenced, I'll explain that in a moment, Noah prepared the ark. He didn't start on the ark until he had a conversation with God. He didn't start on the ark until God did something to him. And it wasn't 40 years in the desert. It was a conversation that God had with Noah to prepare him for the ark. He wasn't a journeyman carpenter. He didn't go through these kinds of schools. He was prepared by God to prepare the ark. So two things happened. Noah first was instructed about God's plan and about his role in God's plan. God chose to disclose his heart to Noah And his plan to Noah. We'll talk about God's heart a little bit when we look back at Genesis chapter 6. But God opened himself up to tell Noah what was going on inside his mind and inside his heart. And then to tell Noah what he was going to do. And what Noah's role was going to be in this plan. So the translation warn, being warned, is probably not quite accurate for us who, in, who speak English. It doesn't quite cover this notion that God was revealing to Noah what was going to happen and telling Noah how he fit into the plans. But nonetheless, in the sense that it was a divine communique, the term, warn, uh, the term, term warned him or having been warned is, is appropriate. It's, it, it's okay. So am I, who am I to say, but that's my view. Hebrews is only telling us then that God instructed Noah generally about things not seen. Did you catch that there in verse seven? Things not seen. Now verse one gives us a clue about that, right? Chapter 11, verse one. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen, for by it, i.e. faith, men of old gain approval. By faith we understand that the world's... etc. etc. Cetera, et cetera. Okay? So we're now dealing with these things that we do not fully comprehend. Noah is dealing with things that he can't see and get his hands around. And God has given some instruction about what he should do in light of all of those things. And in many cases, despite all of those things. So consider for a moment several things. I mean, um, now I'm not a geologist. Don't pretend to be. And geologists have debates about what was going on pre-flood days. So without getting into all of that, it is very possible that Noah may never have seen rain. flood? What's a flood, God? Tell me again, what are you talking about? Or think about it this, Noah may not have known very much about boats. An ark? I am to build an ark? Uh, Now, later on, the term is used to describe the chest that was central to the worship of the people of Israel, we call the Ark of the Covenant. And furthermore, it is kind of fascinating to me that he's told to build this boat miles from any body of water. As I understand the geography of where it must have been located and what bodies of water were nearby, this this just didn't make sense. So here's this Noah receiving these instructions from God and probably scratching his head. As a matter of fact, a reading of God's initial instructions to Noah as recorded in Genesis chapter six is fascinating and it prompts some questions. So turn back to Genesis chapter six if you're not already there. And let's just have a quick look at some of these notions in Genesis chapter six. Uh, We'll get a peek, so to speak, into God's little encounter with Noah. So in chapter 6, let me begin reading at verse 5 of Genesis 6. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. The Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, from man to animals to creeping things and to birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I have made them. And then jump down to verse 13. Then God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. And behold, I am about to destroy them with the earth. Now, I don't know about you, but as I read that, a question pops into my mind, and here's the question. Did Noah fully grasp the what and the why of God's directions in that encounter with him? I mean, this is a real situation. God giving to Noah this briefing prior to the flood, prior to the building of the ark, And lets him know what's going on inside of his mind and his thoughts and his very being, and lets him know what his plan is. I don't think Noah really got a good handle on what really was going on with God. That why was God doing this and what, I mean, these are huge concepts, aren't they? Think about it for a moment. God was talking to Noah about. Universal wickedness encompassing the whole creation. Now, it's real easy to say those words, but it's something else to really comprehend what that must have been and what that was like and what in the world was going on. And then he adds to it something equally incredible. Universal destruction except for a few animals and eight human beings really? I think I would respond to God something like that and if not that you know in my pious days I would say oh that sounds a lot like Romans 11 doesn't it? Oh the depth of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways finding past finding out who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? You see no, it was flat up against things that he was never able to fully understand, fully come to grips with. He was dealing with God and trying to understand the why of God and the what of God's actions. And at the end of the day, I think he would have to conclude with Paul, God is ultimately, mysteriously incomprehensible to me, fully Incom- oh, I know a lot about God. But at the end of the day, these are some big things. Now, here's my thought. Despite all the holes in his understanding of God's directions, despite him scratching his head as he came away from that conversation, we are told in Genesis chapter 6, Noah did all that God had commanded him So did he, verse 22. So did he. I prefer to say it like this. Noah built the boat. Noah built the boat despite what he did not know. In addition to Noah being briefed about God's plan and his role in it, We learned that Noah was instilled with what I've chosen to call attentiveness. Might not be the best way. You've probably got a better way to describe it, but let's just talk about it here for a moment. You'll notice back in Hebrews 11, verse 7, reverence is used in parallel with being warned. Being warned, and then the second thing that God did to him, this is something that happened to Noah, is that. He was reverenced, uh, to use the word. Uh, ESV translates it that way. The New American Standard translates it that way. It's really kind of strange to get our hands around what in the world is going on. Literally, the word means to take a hold of or to receive something well, which leads me to the conclusion that Noah must have received the instructions God gave him well and appropriately. Um, I've chosen to say that what happened is that God was transforming Noah and making making Noah a person who would receive well his instructions. You might describe it in terms of a sponge. (laughs) Noah was transformed by God into a sponge who soaked up what he said. At least what was going on is that God was making it possible for Noah to not only hear but to obey what he said. If not, guaranteeing that he would obey. Something happened to Noah. God instilled in Noah something that made it possible for him to receive God's instructions and to do them. Now, it is very true, Noah still had to obey. (laughs) And it is also true that he did obey. And it is also true, as we read the narrative, that he got the credit for obeying in the sight of God. Now, can you imagine, would you Indulge me to let our imaginations run away with us for just a second. I can imagine Noah coming home at the end of that day and saying to his wife, "Honey, you won't believe what happened to me today. I had this conversation with God. And you know, I, I just, I'm just wondering, is there something I missed? Is there a kind of a certain words that he used that I need to be careful to hear?" Maybe there's something I have forgotten. what was it that God said and what exactly were those words and I don't know if I got it all. I, I can almost see, well, maybe not that conversation with his wife. We don't know too much about his wife, but we'll talk about that in a moment. But certainly with him, having that conversation with himself. I don't know, maybe not, but anyway, Noah's attentive bent. Here's what I do know. Noah's attentive bent as he was instilled by God was not merely contemplative. It didn't end with him trying to figure out and rehearsing what God must have said. It resulted in practical, tangible actions. As a matter of fact, back in Genesis 6 and 7, that record makes several remarkable statements about Noah's life. I'd like you to consider some of them with me. So have your Bibles open now to Noah, I mean, Noah, to Genesis chapter 6. And let's just briefly skim three or four items. First of all, we encounter the contrast between Noah and his contemporaries in the opinion of God. And by the way, his is the only opinion that really matters. Would you agree? Genesis 6. Verse 7, we read the beginning of that. We read that just previously. The Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, from man to animals to creeping things to birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I have made them, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Then we have a summary of Noah's character in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 9. These are the records of the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his time. Noah walked with God. Wow. There's only three people that Scripture records that they walked with God. Noah, Enoch, and Abraham. Those three. Now, I'm impressed when I read the accounts about Job. Job was a blameless man a man who feared God, a man who was upright. But it doesn't say anything about him walking with God. So Noah, in God's mind, seemed to be quite unique. Thirdly, we have God's explanation regarding why Noah got a ticket on the ark. Chapter 7, verse 1, Then the Lord said to Noah, Enter the ark, you and all your household, for you alone I have seen to be righteous before me in this time. Incredibly, Noah was unique among his contemporaries. That's almost a wow factor. We can unpack that a little bit later on. Noah's response to God's directions is found in chapter 7, verse 5. This has to do with the cargo. Noah did everything according to all that the Lord had commanded him. Now that sounds like a broken record, doesn't it? Noah did everything that the Lord commanded him. Whatever the Lord said, so did Noah. It shouldn't surprise us. Noah was a man of remarkable character, and he had this remarkable encounter with the Holy God. So his precise obedience should not surprise us on the one hand. I again like to say it like this. Noah built the boat. Noah built that boat. I can imagine him going back to his wife now in that conversation. Honey, I can't figure out everything that God is saying to me. But I heard one thing, and that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to build the boat. Even though I don't figure everything out, I'm going to build the boat. So let's have a recap Regarding Noah's construction, he built by faith. He was given advance information. And now, thirdly, the ultimate climax of the construction project demonstrates both the goodness and the severity of God. First, the goodness of God. The goodness of God is that Noah and his family survived the flood. Verse 7, Hebrews 11. The salvation of his household. Now, first we must note that we're talking about physical deliverance here, not spiritual deliverance. Spiritual deliverance is the divine act of God where he rescues people from eternal damnation because of their sin against the holy God himself. Spiritual deliverance is always on an individual basis, one-on-one, one person, and God spiritual deliverance it's a personal matter between people and God if you haven't figured that out you need to understand that it's a one-on-one proposition where we answer to God all of us will answer to God this however is physical deliverance and in contrast to spiritual deliverance even though physical deliverance is sometimes miraculous It is merely rescuing from a bad circumstance or some catastrophic events. That can be either personal, one-on-one, or it can be corporate, more than one, a group of individuals. So that raises a question. Was Noah the reason God spared his family too? Nothing is said about their character. Nothing bad, nothing good, nothing neutral. The only one mentioned in Genesis 6 and 7 is Noah. But God spared his family as well. So were his family members spared because of their own personal righteousness, which just is not recorded for us in the scripture? Or was... uh, Family spared because of Noah's righteousness. They just were thrown into the mix because they happened to be there and God was going to spare them as well physically. Or perhaps it is that God spared them for purposes of propagation following the flood. Well, the answer is a simple answer. We don't know. We can only guess about what God's mind was here and what his purposes ultimately were, but he spared his family. This is the goodness of God in the midst of this catastrophic destruction and judgment of God. On the other hand is the severity of God. Everyone else was destroyed. Everyone else perished. Chapter 6 of Genesis starts out in verse 1 with a simple statement. When men began to multiply on the face of the earth. It's almost as, ah, I can see what's coming. When men began to multiply. Then we jump to verse 5. The Lord saw all the wickedness of men, and it was great on the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Do you understand what is being said there? Remember, I posited the thought that Noah didn't understand really what was going on there. I mean, we are talking about little or no restraints on natural inclinations of everybody. All across the globe, however many people that would be and wherever it might have been, most people were as bad as they could be. Verses 1 through 4 tell us that demon possession was rampant everywhere. I submit to you that we have no sense of this today. We rightfully bemoan the status of wickedness pervasive in our culture today, pervasive around the world, and it saddens us. Sometimes it makes us angry. Whatever your response is, I'm not minimizing that, but dear friends, Around the globe today, there are pockets of godliness everywhere, all across the globe. I mean, my wife just shared with me this morning a quotation from the gal who won the 400 meters in the track event and her wonderful testimony of Christ and what he meant to her in her life. Uh, Everywhere we turn, there are pockets of godliness that we have. Not so in Noah's day. Nowhere. No one. One spot. Noah. The whole created order was off the deep end. Well, the Genesis account highlights, therefore, the grace and the mercy of God as well as his wrath, his long suffering with wicked men was finally going to come to an end. So we read in verses 3 and 7 of Genesis 6, Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for I am sorry that I have made them. Yet, what did God do? He allowed ample time for repentance during the building of the ark. Peter writes of this in his first epistle where we read, The patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the waters. That's remarkable. In the midst and in the face of the overwhelming overflow of wickedness everywhere, God waits patiently. So the Genesis account gives us insight into the very utter hardness of man's heart. No one repented. Zero. No one repented. In fact, the Gospels indicate that society arrogantly thumbed their noses at God's message and at God's messengers right up until the very end. Luke 17 says it this way. They were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, they were being given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Now I thought about that. Hmm. I wonder if we can be specific about that. I thought about the craftsmen and the workers who were undoubtedly employed by Noah in the building of the ark. They went out to the work site day in and day out for how no who knows how long, day in and day out. I would imagine that at some point, someone said to the boss, Noah, what is this all about? What are, we, what are you building this ark for? I don't think Noah was a union man. I don't think he said, shut up, do your work, don't worry about what anyone else is doing. Just do what you're supposed to do, pound, cut, measure, whatever it is. No, I think Noah probably said, well, you know what? God had an encounter with me one day, and he sat me down, and he told me to build this ark, and he told me he was going to judge the world unless men repented. I imagine Noah had that conversation with these guys. Now, I could see, you won't believe what my boss said to me today at work can you see that conversation when they went home this guy's a loony this is what he actually thinks is going to happen here as he's building this ark well you know what right up until the end even the workers and the craftsmen who built the boat and presumably knew exactly what was going on they didn't believe and they perished I can't think of a much better example of the hardness of man's heart by their very birth. But again, why did only Noah and his family survive? Well, the answer is obviously hidden in the mind of God. And obviously, everyone who was a human being deserved to perish, so why? Well, at the end of the day, I think the answer is somehow wrapped up in two realities. First is the genuine faith of Noah, and second is the mysterious grace of God. How we put these two together, I can't always be sure. But at the end of the day, that provides us the answer. But it's an answer that is not fully understandable to us, and it was not fully understandable to Noah. Why him? Why his family? Why do they get a ticket when those around them didn't get a ticket, but they all were in the same boat as human beings? But here's what we do know. We know Noah built the boat. That's what we know. Even though Noah couldn't answer all these questions fully, Noah built the boat. Wickedness everywhere. Everywhere. But Noah built the boat, no matter what. So first we see the information regarding Noah building the ark. The second notion is this. In constructing the ark, Noah condemned the world. Now, you'll notice the term by which. For it, it, is, it says in Hebrews eleven seven In reverence he prepared the ark for the salvation of his household by which he condemned the world. So it was by the preparing of the ark that the world was condemned. Day in and day out, the building of the ark must have grabbed people's attention and probably their derisive scorn and laughter as well. I can only imagine that Noah became the laughing stock of the community. Can you imagine the water cooler conversations? Can you imagine the editorials or the neighborhood talk or the social media or the, heart or the hashtags or the blogs all about this crazy man out there building the earth? But at the end of the day, Noah had the last word. However, this is strong stuff. Noah condemned the world? you got to be kidding me. What does that mean? What is this all about? Because I'm sure you as me understand one thing. There is only one person who has the authority and capacity to condemn the world, and that is God himself. Furthermore, most frighteningly, we know that not only does he have the authority and the capacity, he has the resolve to do so, and he has done so. Again, Peter writes in 2 Peter chapter 2, And if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction by reducing them to ashes, having made them an example to those who would live ungodly lives thereafter, then the Lord knows how to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. Wow. That's sobering. God is the one who wields the hammer of condemnation. So how do we explain Noah condemning the world? Well, it might be as simple as saying that God used Noah to condemn wicked men. In other words, God was really the one condemning, but he used Noah as the means of the condemnation. We're talking here about immediate versus ultimate causality. Or it might be a little bit differently. It might be this. Noah did actively condemn the world, but he did not condemn individuals. He condemned the world system, the system of the world. And yet, of course, people were his targets, not trees. He wasn't St. Francis who preached to trees. He preached to people. But condemning the world, hmm, Here's what I think we should think. I think we should think. Noah judged pagan culture every day by obeying God publicly. Every day. His radical behavior, and there's no other way to describe it than that. His radical behavior was both a cursing of the darkness and a shining of the light at the same time. I noticed something else. Peter goes on in his epistle, and he calls Noah a preacher of righteousness. Oh, wouldn't you like to hear his sermons? i like to be in the audience in the homiletics lab and taking notes on that one. Preacher of righteousness. Whatever, here's what we know. Noah opened his mouth for God. He didn't merely let his public display of works and obedience and building the ark speak for God. He actually opened his mouth. Now, I grew up in a, in a military system where I was told you need to practice the ministry of presence. Well, I understand that, and I see the value of that, but sometimes you got to open your mouth, and you've got to speak the truth. And Noah did both. People vividly saw his radical behavior, but they heard him as well. I can imagine those craftsmen could give testimony to what Noah did and what he said. So even though Genesis six seventeen is clear that God shared with Noah his plans for total annihilation of everything that is on the earth, I highly doubt if Noah really grasped the reality and the enormity of the fact that he was going to be condemning the world. No matter, there was one thing Noah did. Noah built the boat, even though he didn't come to terms fully with all of those enormous thoughts. So Noah constructed the ark, Noah condemned the world and now the third major notion in constructing the ark Noah was changed. Noah was changed. We learn a couple of things at the end of verse 7. First of all he received God's promises. He became an heir. It's an interesting word that simply says he was a person who received from another person something that he didn't earn or deserve. As a matter of fact Uh, The term heir itself means to be granted something by lot, not not to be granted by something because you've earned it. So Noah received God's promises. And then secondly, we are told it was an heir of righteousness. He became an heir of righteousness. Now, we've already seen that Noah was a righteous person. He stood out in a wicked generation. That's what got him a ticket on the ark. God viewed him that way, and that was God's evaluation of him. But here we are told that God gave him righteousness. Now, which was it? Was Noah righteous, or did God make him righteous? Quite a conundrum, isn't it? What's going on? Well, for what it's worth, this... uh, low-level theologian, I believe it's both. Not only did God give him righteousness, but he was righteous. It's one single concept. The emphasis probably is on Noah's life. The phrase is literally, and he became an heir of the according-to-faith righteousness. In other words, God does not make a man righteous apart from faith. And he gives both righteousness and faith. It is a faith righteousness. It's a single concept. So Noah lived a faithful, obedient life because he was righteous. And it is he became righteous because of his faith. Both are true. Everything comes back to faith in this chapter, doesn't it? Everything is explained by means of faith. And of course, we know the bigger story. Everything comes back to God in this chapter at the end of the day. So here's one thing that we must remember about Noah. Noah built the boat. Noah built the boat. Dear friends, we too must remember that our life is also filled with things that we cannot control, that we cannot comprehend. Our understanding is flawed all the time. But there's one thing we should know. We too can build the boat. Noah built the boat. I want to leave you with one great lesson. I do recognize that this story doesn't end well. Had we the time, we'd turn over to the ninth chapter of Genesis, wouldn't we? And we'd read there the the ugly event that took place near the end of Noah's life. Genesis chapter 9 verse 20, then Noah began farming and planted a vineyard post-flood he drank of the wine and became drunk and uncovered himself inside his tent. What a depressing, ugly, disappointing scene. However, I see some encouragement in this scene. As divine revelation progressively unfolds and we come to the new covenant era, Described in Hebrews chapter 11, we now have this picture given to us of God looking back on Noah's life. Now, you know, God wasn't myopic. God saw the whole of Noah's life. And he looks back on Noah's life and he chooses to focus on On his obedience during the run up to the flood rather than on the ugly event post flood. I don't know about you, but that's pretty encouraging. For I learned something about God. God has room in his boat for imperfect people. Proof of the pudding? Just do a study of all those names in Hebrews chapter 11. These great men and women of faith, they all had skeletons in the closet. They were all flawed. But here they are, recognized as persons who are examples that we should follow. Dear friends, This is an encouraging thought. But still, at the end of the day, if you don't take anything else home from this study, please remember one thing. What do you suppose it is I want you to remember? Can anyone say it? Build the boat. Build the boat. Dear friends, build the boat. Your boat's different than mine. Build the boat the boat. Precise obedience, even though there are things in your life that run out of control and you can't understand why this or that is required or why this and that is happening, but you can build the boat.